My guest today on Mission Impact is Veronica LaFamina. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit holistic strategy consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Veronica and I talk about why big change initiatives often fail. We explore why a map of how to get from A to B may not be sufficient, why the role of a key leader visibly supporting the change is so key, and why radio silence is a really bad sign. In this conversation, I really appreciated Veronica's point that with a large change initiative, the launch day is really the middle of the rollout, not the ending. And I appreciated what she said about preparing middle managers to answer questions from their staff. As a former middle manager myself, I can only think of a few times when leadership took the time to do that, to make sure that we were as fully informed as we could be so we could answer staff's questions. And when you don't have the uh, questions or the answers, or your answer is, I don't know, it can sometimes undermine trust. And it really provides an opportunity for our brains as storytelling machines to go to town. Nature abhors a vacuum, and an information vacuum will be filled with speculation, rumor, and other stories that can then become perceived as fact very easily. And I would say this is rarely malicious. It's just how we're wired. And in the absence of information, we will likely fill in the gaps with our own story of what is going on to allay our anxieties about the unknown and to feel more of a sense of control and agency. And then, like I said, we're likely to start believing our own stories, often not even realizing that it is just our thoughts and speculation about the situation. The example that Veronica uses through most of our conversation is a technology project, which on the surface can seem like a technical, not an adaptive change. But even with a change in tools, we have to change our habits and some of our ways of being. And while this example may seem more simple than the very complex changes to culture that many organizations are attempting in becoming more equitable and anti-racist, there are many parallels to the common challenges and things that get in the way. These include sustained leadership support, working to cultivate the conditions for success, and recognizing what you're asking of people and what they will need to do to shift one way of being to another, as well as celebrating the bright spots and the small wins. Welcome, Veronica. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thanks, Carol. I'm so happy to be here with you today. So I'd like to start out each uh, podcast conversation with what drew you to the work that you do? What motivates you and what would you describe as your why? It's a great question. Um, I like to joke that service has been in my DNA. I sort of was born into a family where service and being involved in the community was always a really important part of our lives. And so whether that was through volunteering, whether that was through scouts or um, uh, church or community projects, you know, I have many fond memories of 
being involved um, in figuring out how we can help our neighbors' lives be better, what we can each do to make our community a better place. So um, how that's carried over in my professional life is I am very passionate about finding better ways of working so that we can ensure that folks in the nonprofit sector and the social impact world have the tools and support they need um, and that we're really focused on getting to our goals, like on, on meeting the mission that we're here for. Um, so, you know, really mine is a strong family basis and just some good reinforcement from the universe along the way that this is the right track to be on. I love that. Yeah. When I talk to guests so often, there's something early on that, that set them on their, this, this path. And uh, for me, it was probably being the uh, younger sister of a, a person with a disability and just kind of watching them having to navigate the world and, and how, you know, systems are not necessarily set up for everybody. And how can we make that better? How can we kind of smooth the path? Um, for folks and uh, make, you know, life more accessible, easier. And um, and then, you know, the same in in the workplace, like how, how can we get out of our own way uh, to to get further and closer to our mission? Yeah, I love that. And I'm, I, was, I, I resonate with that a lot, too. Just the idea that um, there's so much potential, right? There's so much opportunity. I feel like I really see the world and our sector as a place where so much is possible. And if we can remove barriers, if we can take away unnecessary um, restrictions, unnecessary boxes that we're putting ourselves in, there's just so much that is available to us in the form of like human creativity, innovation, opportunity to solve some of the really big problems we have in our country and in our communities and our world. Um, so I love hearing your story too, Carol. That's really empowering and exciting. Yeah, I think w the the removing barriers and smoothing the way um, is top of mind because I was just listening to a Hidden Brain uh, podcast interview where they were talking about how um, rather than pushing, um, actually removing barriers makes it easier for people to to do uh, behavior change, uh, whether that's at the individual level or or at the organizational level. And one of the things that you've worked a lot on is helping organizations, you know, initiate those big change processes, which unfortunately too often don't go as planned, uh, don't end up with the results that people expected. Um, you know, I think the the statistics are. I looked them up. They're pretty bad. The, 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 the guesstimate, I guess, or maybe it's based on research that that 70 percent of uh, change efforts fail. What do you think are some of the things that 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 do get in the way of organizations being able to um, move forward change that they're really that they really want? And yet somehow it's not sticking. I am so passionate about this topic uh, because I think in the social impact sector in particular, we get really excited about all of the ideas we have about a new program, a new way of working in our community that we can sort of dream and envision the impact of. But we don't always remember that in order to get there, we have to go through the process of going from the you know where we're, we are right now to that destination. So we, we sometimes think it's as simple as, well, if I just draw a map, we'll know how to get there. Uh, but that's not true. And so I have worked in um, communications and change management 
in strategy work for almost 20 years, um, both as a consultant and in-house and executive leadership roles. And I remember that feeling of frustration, like, why isn't this working? We've, you know, we've been thoughtful, we've planned well, we've done all these things that, and I'm using air quotes here, like that best practices tell you to do, and nothing was really working. Um, or when something was working, we couldn't always replicate it, right? The situation would change, environment would change, and so it was tough to understand what is most effective about this. Um, so several years ago, I went and got a change management certification because I was like, well, I've been doing change work my whole life. Now I want to know what these guys, you know, they, these large training companies or research companies are saying. And uh, it turns out that ProSci, which is where I got my certification, has been doing longitudinal research on why change fails for the past 25, 26 years. So um, it was interesting to me as a practitioner to see so much of my experience echoed in that research. Um, one of the main reasons that change fails in organizations is the lack of a visible and engaged executive sponsor. And if people aren't familiar with that term, an executive sponsor is usually someone who's on the senior most leadership team of an organization who is charged with being uh, like the face, the voice, the person who's going to make it happen, right? They've got the authority and ideally the budget to make the change happen. Um, and they may get really excited and come in the first couple of meetings, kick off the project team, get everyone amped and ready to go, and then they disappear. And that lack of commitment and stamina at the executive level to stick with a change through its whole process is a leading reason why change doesn't work in organizations. So, you know, a lot of times a board or um, an executive director might think like, oh, okay, we've got these five big initiatives we're gonna launch this year, you know, these, you know we're gonna have one a quarter, we'll each take about three months, we'll just, you know, brush our hands, get it done, and everyone will be working differently. Um, and wouldn't it be nice if humans worked that way, but we just don't. So, so I often talk to leaders about the fact that if you are going to undertake a change, you know, that could be something like implementing a new CRM or other kind of technology that your team use, needs to use, or something really big like a cultural initiative where you're trying to put um, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access like top of mind and as a part of how your organization works. How long are you willing to stick with that? Is it three months? Is it six months? What if that change takes 18 months? What if it, what takes, if it takes three, three years? years? <laughs> right? That is a really important question. Executive sponsors and the people who are kind of stuck influencing executive sponsors need to be asking themselves, what kind of stamina do I have to be present, to be engaged, to be vocal? Because as soon as that person starts to disappear, staff automatically deprioritize that change. They automatically say, well, if it's not that important and this leader is onto something new, then I need to shift my focus. I have to change my priorities to just follow them. So leaders, I sometimes call these leaders like hit and run change leaders, where they may have great intentions, but they're not being honest with themselves about their capacity to stick with it for the change, for the length of the change. 
And and what you said at the very, very beginning where you said, you know, five in one year, that just was made me go, oh, <laughs> maybe <Right>. not so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I often will, uh, you know, when I'm first uh, talking to potential folks to work with, asking them what else is going on, because if, if they're going to do something, you know, around the kind of work that I do, whether it's strategic planning or mapping out their impact or some other project, but they also are in the midst of doing a rebranding or they're also in the midst of, um, you know, changing that CRM, which can be a big, actually a culture change. It's not going to work to have it all going on at the same time. And right, the the leader doesn't have that same focus on on what's most important. And then that signals to staff, you know, you know, again, follow the leader. What 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 are they prioritizing today? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, too, um, it is normal and human to believe that we have the capacity to do way more than we and that's because when we think about our own lives even right we think about everything that we get done in a day or everything that we get done in a year and we are like well surely as a group of humans we could do more but actually it is the opposite right when we're crafting change in our own lives we know the audience pretty well right we know how to make adjustments so that we're increasing our motivation or increasing our ability, making things easier for ourselves to do so that we'll actually do the behavior we're aiming for. But when we're working at an organizational level, even if your organization, you know, if it's three people or if it's 30,000 people, we have to be aware of the needs that humans have when it comes to change and how we're probably not meeting them a lot of the time. Um, and I, you know, I, when I talk to leaders, there are these concerns about, well, that takes so much longer. You know, I have all this pressure to deliver and perform. And my, my response to that is if you have a pr- pressure to deliver and perform, right, whether again, whether it's from your board, whether it's from a key donor or someone in, you know, a community funder, things like that, then they should want you to be able to get it right. So the change sticks. Right, so that we're not ticking a box. Yes, acquired new CRM. Like the the aim of that is not that you, uh, you know, turn the switch on for your new system. It's that the human beings who need to use it are using it effectively and making that a way of working for the organization. And I would say that's another big reason why change fails is that organizations, leaders are not clearly defining what success looks like or they're picking the wrong measure, right? So launch day is the success check instead of, uh, you know, six months after launch, X percent of employees are effectively using this technology every day or every week in their lives, right? They're not really accounting for the fact that this isn't just something we bought that is going to sit on the shelf. Like this is something that needs to be a way of working. And that takes time because as humans, we need practice. We're really great at understanding something intellectually and then never practicing it. Therefore, we're not sure if we're capable <laughs> of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking back to a, a project that I was on when I was inside an organization and the amount of time and energy and resources that were put 
into the to the planning, the deciding what and it was a technology project. Um, you know, deciding what features we were going to have, uh, you know, working all of that through getting to launch date, but there was almost no thought or energy from the folks who were leading the project in how are we going to train people? There was a one day training, mm-hmm. but then how are we going to follow up a week later to say, have you actually gotten into the new CRM? And if you tried this, have you entered any data? Have you tried to run a report? Um, you know, any of that kind of thing to actually do exactly what you're talking about of change in behavior, because the behavior that we saw beforehand was that people would run reports and then manage everything through spreadsheets. So the information always was lost and disconnected, which is obviously the exact opposite of what having a system like that is supposed to do. But as you say, just having it doesn't create the end result unless you build the conditions for that. Right. And presumably, so here's what I'll say, like, presumably we have a good reason for this change, right? Well, let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that it has been a really thoughtful conversation about introducing a new piece of technology, or we do want to be more inclusive and equitable as an organization. Like, let's assume our hearts and our brains are relatively in the right place. Sometimes what happens is we treat these just as the projects that take us from genesis to, okay, we did the launch day, we even, we did training, check, we, you know, did that. And we didn't actually think about the fact that change management is the act of moving people, right? Moving people from one way of being to another, which by the way, is something we all could be really great at in the social impact sector, because that's so much of our work outside of our orgs too. Um, And so, you know, again, it's really common to not have solid communication strategies and training strategies in place, right? We sort of expect that we say it once or we announce to everybody at the same time and that that will be enough. And it isn't, right? There are reasons that we know we have to repeat things to supporters or donors seven or more times, right, for them to actually hear what we're saying. We know in the world of social media, like if we want to get our organization seen, we have to keep getting out there and sharing the message and connecting and have engaging a real conversation with folks. But especially, I mean, it's always been true, but I would say especially in remote workplaces, we forget how early we need to start engaging the other humans <laughs> who we are working with to ensure like we're not missing something. Because when you're deep in the weeds of it, it's really easy to believe that you've like designed this perfect solution, but you could get great intel by talking to people who are on the ground working with that system or who are going to be really involved in carrying out that change. We don't always have that luxury. You know, sometimes there are changes that are, you know, confidential in nature or, you know, have to have some kind of embargo date on them. But that doesn't mean that we can't then plan to have it, like we can't have an appropriate strategy for how we'll communicate and train in that situation. You know, so often, right, again, it's like, hey, we're doing this thing. And then there's blowback and executive leaders or board members are flummoxed. They don't know where that's coming from because they've just been thinking about and planning for whatever this is for six or nine months. And they're forgetting that this is brand new to everyone else. And so we can't expect people to be open to a completely new way of doing things if we've spent very little time helping them understand 
why this change is needed, what we hope they'll do to help us make this happen, getting ready to teach them what they need, you know, create the knowledge that's there, giving them time to practice, right? We, again, practice is something we're so good at as kids, and then we just like leave it by the wayside in our grown-up years. <laughs> um, so knowledge and time to practice, like you're not gonna get it perfect a week after training. None of us are that, you know, are that adept at a completely new system for the most part. Um, and then also reinforcing it, right? The, the announcement isn't the end. It's actually a middle point milestone because, hey, we're flipping the switch on that thing. But it's all of the communication and conversation and, and really setting our managers, our people managers up for success and to be the leaders we need them to be as we're having these conversations. I mean, nothing sets a change back more than a manager saying to their team, well, I don't know, this is the first I'm hearing of it too. Um, and when that's the kind of thing you're hearing around your org, you can bet that you're going to be doing some repair work, right? Um, really doing some work to recover trust and recover enthusiasm or momentum toward whatever change you're looking to move forward. Yeah, you're, what you're describing um, brings to mind a, a process that I was part of where in a volunteer organization, um, we were going through a leadership change and I was on the committee that was um, looking for the next leader. And we had to keep reminding ourselves that we were in all of this. It was, you know, there was strict confidentiality around a lot of it. Who were you talking to and all of that? But we were in all the details. We were, you know, starting to be able to see kind of the next phase, but the rest of the group was not part of that conversation. And so they were going to be in a totally different spot when we made, you know, the big announcement. And so what were things that we could do then? And I'm wondering for, um, you talked about it being kind of a middle phase. What are some of those things that, that organizations really need to think about if they're really thinking about the whole arc? If the, if the launch is just the middle, then what, what's the second half? Sure. Um, so what I'll, what I'll first say, right? So if, if the first part is really thinking through how we want this change to go in the first place, getting clear about what the priorities are, um, what success looks like, right? So that we can then use that to lay groundwork or start having conversations. And the example you're talking about, Carol, we may not be able to say, you know, who we're talking to or, how many folks we've interviewed even, but we certainly can reinforce that the board is having conversations or here, you know, enough information to help folks come along and understand that this isn't something we've forgotten about. Um, when we look at, you know, after flip the switch day, right, and not every change has that kind of launch moment. Some of them are, are you know, gradual and, and build and become more robust over time. But in situations where we do have a, you know, the new tech is live today or that kind of thing, there are a couple of really key things to prepare for. So one is that um, training your managers, right, your people managers to be able to speak about the change with their teams really matters. We know from ProSci research and from other research out there that staff want to hear from the senior most level executive at the organization about why we're doing this change and what it means for the future of the organization. So the, from the vision holder of the organization, that's who they want to hear the big picture from. What they want to hear from their boss is, how's this going to change my job? What's going to be different for me? 
And most managers have not been put through formal training programs about how to communicate effectively about change, right? Or how to uh, just manage change on their teams. So thinking about what kind of tools, right? And by tools, I'm saying like, what kind of talking points, what kind of emails, what kinds of Q&A documents can you provide to those managers and then train them on, right? Have conversations with them, ideally in advance of the change, so that when it's announced to the whole staff or when there's a big switch flip, they're able to immediately start having conversations with their team members about what's happening, what's expected of us, what this means. Um, those tools can also include timelines, right? So things like for the next month, there will be opportunities for training and here are the trainings our team needs to take. My expectation is that everyone on our team will complete their training by X date and will come together and share and ask questions so that that way I can communicate back to whoever's developed our training about things we're still not sure about. Um, it should include regular check-in communications. You know, I think we have like this perfectionism mindset sometimes where when we think about it as a launch and then we put out the big announcement that everything has got to go perfectly. And again, that's an unrealistic expectation, right? What we want often is feedback or questions or concerns that people may have. So we can then understand how to continue providing information or support that will help address those needs. The worst thing that can happen when you announce a change is that you get no feedback or commentary. Because what that means is people aren't talking to you as a leader, but they sure are talking to each other on Slack channels or Teams channels or texting each other and saying, can you believe this? I can't believe they're adding one more thing to our plate. So really thinking through, you know, not just the, that month after the new thing gets launched, but what do you want to communicate six months from now? What do you hope it looks like? And how can you continue to ensure that you as the leader are showing up and talking about the continued importance of this, sharing some signs of success, showcasing folks on the team who've made great progress or are doing great work with this change. So not just like the project team that launched it, but hey, Carol like came up with this fantastic new report that we're using in our area of the business because that was made possible by this new system, right? It unlocked opportunity and information. And so using all of that as a way to continue that forward momentum, get people engaged and motivated um, because even if they're motivated on day one, it's a lot harder to be motivated two months later when you haven't done your training requirements yet. Um, so making it as easy as possible and providing those motivating factors is really important. Yeah, and I love that point about um, engaging with the managers um, beforehand to help them prepare. It gives them a chance to ask their questions, have their visceral reaction to the plan if they if they weren't aware of it before. Um, so that they can kind of work through their emotions before they're then having to, you know, answer questions from their team. Um, I think there's a lot that uh, that really just taking that step, which, you know, th there's some steps there, right, that you lined out. But in in a lot of ways, it's not that complicated um, and could really make such a difference in people being ready, kind of thinking about what are the waves of folks as you so you ripple this out, I kind of think of the uh, the uh, um, innovation 
there's a graph. I have to look it up on what it is when when you go from the early adopters to the to the you know the laggard you know the laggards are over here, mm -hmm. but the people in the middle, and there's this yeah. big gap. And oftentimes, um, you know, to be able to in an organization kind of bridge that gap would be to do exactly the, some of the things that you're talking about. Yeah, and I, I think, too, one of the great benefits of the time we're in now is that we have seen that our organizations can change, right? There's been some extreme external pressure for that um, in some cases, but, you know, organizations that were struggling for a decade prior to consider how they would make telework or work from home work figured it out in an emergency situation. And that doesn't mean you should keep working under emergency protocols, right? You have to figure out how to way to make it part of your work going forward. But we have the capacity to change. Uh, and so giving ourselves, setting ourselves up for success by not like purposely doing these things that make change fail is really important. You know, I think too, this happens sometimes with executive leaders who they're not ready themselves, mm. right? They might feel pressure from the board. They might not believe in it. They might prefer their Excel spreadsheets to using a CRM that feels complicated. And, and so when leaders are not ready and are not willing to hold themselves accountable to doing the things that they ask everyone in the organization to do, they're like, your staff aren't missing that. People see <laughs> what's happening. So being honest with yourself about, are you ready to do this right now? And if not, what would it take to get ready? What, what does it mean for you to be willing to learn something new honestly a lot of the time now that might mean that that doesn't mean that you know every single person is doing things the exact same way in the organization but um nothing like we're you know the the words i'm looking for i guess are like nothing moves more like wildfire through an organization than like when someone uh is doing a workaround or someone is like flouting the system and no one's no one cares Right, because then they're like, well, why am I spending all this time entering data this way or trying to be, you know, trying to follow things when senior leadership, like clearly it's not a priority for them, right? So it's very, like I talk to with leaders I work with about the importance of, our, of having a high say-do ratio, right? So if we're saying we're gonna do these things, then we actually need to follow through. Otherwise, we're just like having a feel good moment of having addressed it verbally instead of it becoming a real way of life. And, you know, change management takes trade offs. It does. And I, a lot of leaders don't like to hear that. They want to think, well, we can say yes to all these things and get it done. But really, great change management requires that we say no to certain things or we say not yet or we say that comes next after this part gets done. It's not that we can't have multiple changes going on at once, but if we overcommit, if we say yes to everything, then none of it sticks. And that means a legacy for you as a leader of someone who had a lot of great ideas, but not a lot of true impact. And I believe we want a sector full of leaders who have great ideas that have great impact too. Yeah, it just, it makes me think of, you know, the need to just integrate that and have it become normal, right? No longer the thing you have to think of or the checklist you have to look through and read to remind you how to do the thing. It just becomes the new normal. Um, and 
and going back to that, the uh, senior leader um, sponsorship, but also commitment to a change. I mean, a lot of organizations over the last several years have spent a lot of time and energy focused in on trying to build and reshape their cultures to be more inclusive. And um, I'm part of a collective that works with uh, works on diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And, and a couple of my colleagues were working with an organization. And there was a lot of, um, and mostly we, we were still at the leader level trying to um, move forward with them. And it just became clear, not that they weren't committed, they had the, the say, they had that, but there were some ways in which the organization worked and overworked chronically um, that was never going to really allow them to focus in on it and do the things that they needed to do to make the changes. And so we ended up actually, you know, exiting out of the, the project and, and not working further with staff because we didn't want to be in the position where we'd raised expectations from staff without that leader commitment to really take the time, energy, and, and sh fundamentally shift how the organization was working um, to make it possible to do things differently. Yeah, well, and there's something really important what you said there, Carol, which is we have to be pretty self-aware as leaders in this space. It's hard, right? Because for many of us who've been working in social impact for a long time, there is a culture around well, we have to, we have, like we use the phrase, we have to all the time. And I, as a facilitator, hate the phrase, we have to, because if we're saying we have to, it means we actually don't have any idea how we're going to do it, but we just think it's important to keep on our, you know, strategic plan list or pegboard or things like that. Have to is not a priority. That's a check the box. And so many of these initiatives deserve more time, more attention, more thoughtfulness. Um, and if we can't give them that time and space, it doesn't mean that they aren't important, but it means we need to rectify some stuff to really be honest with ourselves about what we're capable of, right? Like we have um, a like constant drive, like constant uh, productivity culture, right? Like, well, if I just do this one more thing for, you know, a client that we serve, or if I, I just push a little harder and launch this new program like we we get so spun up in like the busyness of it that we fail to recognize that we're actually preventing the change that we're wanting to make happen happen like we're we're working against human nature we're working against how organizations work um and that sets us up for some heartbreak, right? Like we, when our heart is so big that our hands cannot keep up with that, that appetite that our heart has created, um, we have to be, we have to be honest with ourselves about capacity. And that's, you know, talking to leaders right now, I'm really heartened to hear more leaders, more executive directors and CEOs really thinking through, how am I going to have this conversation with my board? How am I going to have the conversation with them about how we are trying to do so much that none of it's gonna stick, right? Or that we're, you know, attempting to like grab some duct tape and rub a few pennies together and, and make something happen. But like if your staff aren't well informed, if you aren't an organization that is practiced in changing the way you work, everything else 
becomes harder, right? Your staff are the face of your organization to the community, to the folks you serve. And so like when they're not well informed, when they're not on board, when they're feeling insecure or stuck or out of the loop, that all really flows out into the work you do on the mission side. So, you know, if you're if your leader has like, well, but like the mission and we've just got to keep going, well, right. Okay, but to do that effectively, we have to make sure that the people who power this organization know what's needed, know why we're doing it, and have the the tools and information and support to do it effectively. Otherwise, you know, it's just like a bunch of stats we throw in an annual report that don't really mean what we what we are hoping to accomplish with our impact. You mentioned the uh, have to, we have to do it, um, being kind of a red flag for you that that it's probably not actually going to happen. Are there other things that that uh, you hear or people say that kind of make you step back and say, oh, wait a second, let's let's dig into that a little bit more? Oh, yeah. One of my, I mean, again, another big reason change fails is that we designate the wrong executive sponsor. Mm. And what it normally sounds like is something like, you know, we really like diversity, equity, and inclusion are part of our values. We believe strongly this is important. We want to be, you know, an equity-led or equity-centered organization. Uh, And our employee resource group, right, our culture committee, our diversity committee, they're going to lead that effort. Well, that employee resource group is often staffed by super enthusiastic, really smart, really incredible staff members who probably don't have positional or budget authority to do anything in the organization without the executive team being heavily involved. And so when we delegate responsibility for leading an initiative, that group can be such an essential part of helping us move forward with change, but it is super unfair to put that on the shoulders of staff who already are giving extra time, already out of their like willingness and commitment and desire and their values. Like they wanna make this organization better, they're already doing that. And then you're saying, but we're not gonna give you any of the executive support or the budget or the authority to make any of this happen. So, you know, when I talk to leaders and they're looking to delegate who that executive sponsorship will be, right, that it's someone without may not be on the executive team, it could even be a board member, you know, we have to have a really serious conversation about how well that board member understands the workings of the organization. Are staff willing to speak up to this person to tell them what they think won't work? Because if you can't have honest conversations as you're crafting these changes, what you end up with is a bunch of people saying yes to things that won't work, and then you don't find it out for six plus months because they're so terrified to talk to the board about it because of how the power structures that exist between board members and staff. Um, so I would say that's another big one I hear quite a lot. Um, and and the other one would be more, you know, as we're getting through it, right, as we've kind of done our, our launch and, and things like that, it'll be people on the training end saying, well, we, we did the training. We, we gave the training on this particular topic. We put it together, it worked, but not like verifying, not having those check-ins about, okay, but 
what are we testing for exactly, right? What is it that we were training to? Are we just training someone how to generically use this platform or are we training them how do we use it here? What that means for all our policies and processes, right? So when different members of the team get very pigeonholed in, well, we, you know, we did the training or I made a communications plan instead of really thinking about it holistically, like we're working together to move this group of humans to a new way of working, um, they are not being like, you know what I need right now is training, or I could really use this piece of communication. It's all got to work in an integrated way. Um, and so, you know, when I hear leadership teams or teams being pretty fragmented, right, or pretty siloed from one another, that's another moment I take to say, you know, like, this is an all-in thing. We've all got to be on the same page if we're expecting the whole organization. Like if we can't be on the same page, it's super unlikely that the rest of the organization is all going to be able to come together around this. So let's spend that time and energy now figuring out what's needed, but then also how we cross over, how we communicate, how we're going to bring feedback back to the group so that we can have the result we're looking for, right? which is a new way of working at this organization. Yeah, and you bring up a, a whole other topic, which is um, the the leadership team that is a team in name only. But I don't think we have, uh, <laughs> we're coming to the end here, so I don't think we can open up that whole can of worms. But yeah, and, and, and any any other, um, you've told us the main things. Let me see if I can name them out. The uh, executive sponsor, you need one. They need commitment. Whoever you're working with needs resources. And launch is just the middle. How are you continuing to support people as they change their behavior? Um, in, in what I'm thinking of would be kind of like, how can you create it so it's more of a just-in-time versus a one-time training, um, job yeah. aids, different you know resources. Uh, you know, the way that people go now, they Google something and they look something up on YouTube for a three-minute three how-to of whatever the thing they're looking for. So. What what did I miss yeah. anything, or is there a, one other important one I, that we need to name? I would just say, you know, a lot of it is: do we have all the right resources? Right, the right resources for a change include budget. So not just the budget we spent on the new CRM, but like the time, the tra additional training, the additional resources we may need to pull in to help us prepare and be ready to implement this change. Um, and also, the resources include really well-informed managers, right? Like we, if we think about the kinds of leaders we need those managers to be and recognize that very often they're not supported in that endeavor, then we can really think about like, how can we ensure that that is our primary thing, the thing we start with instead of being an afterthought that comes at the end. Like these people are the front line of ensuring this change happens how can we surround, protect, support them with the right kind of tools and materials? And so, you know, the switching from like a project mindset of change to like a how humans change mindset of change is a really important way of considering like change management in our organizations and why change fails. Like humans are not, um, you know, waterfall Gantt charts. They just, they don't work that way. So oh, on, how can not? we, right, like how can we apply the right kind of methodology, the right approach, the right tool to the, to the right situation so that we're not 
left confused at the end of why things didn't work. Yeah, as you were talking, I also had the, what came to mind was the last part of a yoga class where you do Shavasana and you lie down to, so that you can integrate the practice that you've had um, from that previous 45 minutes or half hour. Mm -hmm. uh, so making sure that you have that. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. You can download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. And we're back. So at the end of every um, episode, I ask a, a, a random icebreaker questions. So I've got one here for you. Um, who would you most like to sit next to on a 10-hour flight and why? Oh, gosh. That is so that's a really good one and so tricky, Carol. Okay. So um, I... I've been thinking a lot lately about Juliet Gordon Lowe, who founded the Girl Scouts, and what she would think about the world we live in now and the position and like and just space that girls and women take up and what leadership looks like today. So I think I would probably choose her because when you think about the movements that have truly like grown and blossomed and continued to evolve over time. I really think the Girl Scouts are like an, a huge inspiration and example um, for like what it looks like to do the modern expression of your mission. So I would be curious, you know, like to get her perspective on what what it look like. You know, what does it look like to her now? Is this what she envisioned? How has it changed? Um, and what you know, what kind of change was she hoping to make in the world? Because I think she didn't get to see all of this and what exists today. So like the opportunity to talk with the founder of a movement that has become like such an integral part of our society would be really fascinating for me. I'm sure that would be, that would be a fascinating, fascinating conversation. So what are you excited about? What's coming up for you? What's emerging in the work that you're doing? I am really enjoying um, doing a lot more one-on-one -on -one work with executive leaders these days. So, you know, as someone with a communications background and then moved into strategy work, I find myself continually moving upstream to say, how can we remove barriers? You know, what is it that's needed? And I'm finding that so many of the executive leaders I talk to are incredibly exhausted. They know that everyone's looking to them for their vision and direction. And they know it's in there, but they're struggling to get it out and to make time with the day-to-day, -day, um, you know, chaos that goes into running a nonprofit a lot of times. So I'm really enjoying that one-on-one work, uh, one -on -one work with strategic leaders, both, you know, as a strategic advisor capacity and in coaching. Um, and then I'm also really enjoying spending more time um, talking to folks like you, Carol, on, on podcasts. And I've had a couple of speaking engagements coming up lately and, and some coming later in the year. So um, the opportunity to write and speak, you know, about these ways of like improving the ways that we think and plan and work so that we're 
letting go of the stuff that's not working. We're letting go of the expectations of how things should be and instead being willing to embrace different ways, you know, being willing to say, you know, maybe we did that way, that way for 30 years, but I'm, I'm ready and willing to try something new. Um, so that is, uh, has been great for me. And obviously I really enjoy connecting with folks on LinkedIn as well. Um, lots of great conversations over there that you are always such a great contributor to, um, as well. So love getting to exchange ideas and perspectives with folks who connect with me there. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, the conversation and might have to have you back for another one about one of the other juicy topics that comes up through our LinkedIn conversation. (laughs) I'm here for it, Carol. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Veronica, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. And I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a colleague or friend. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.